0: Hello friends. As a quick reminder, we're off next week, but starting the week after that, we'll be back to our normal schedule. More importantly, this episode is the end of an era, the bad audio quality era. This week's audio is rough, there are no two ways about that, but after this, we're back to smooth sailing. To paraphrase the legend Alex Trebek, tune in next time, won't you? And now, on with the show. (laughs) Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC television show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark.
1: I'm your host, Eddie McCarthy. Still bad without me.
0: Love it, because we're here to talk about season one, episode ten, Dex and violence. We open on the casino floor with the Montecito hosting the World Poker Championship, and another guy. Just buckets of sweat coming off them at a table. This is a disturbing theme we've seen twice already in the first 10 episodes.
1: Again, we, we have discussed the lack of subtlety in the show Las Vegas, and there's one way they're going to tell you that somebody's not comfortable with gambling. It is going to be buckets and buckets of sweat. This time with real sweat visual effect technology that honestly was just creepy, and I hated it
0: so much. I didn't hate it. I thought it was kind of cool, but my thought was that was an expensive shot, right? I mean, I think they had to be pretty pricey and didn't really accomplish much with it. My big issue with the opening scene there is legendary pit boss Nessa, the Ice Queen, uses the tagline, Okay, dealers, shuffle up, cut them, and put them in the air. I've never heard anyone say that about dealing cards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess shuffle up and deal felt too on the nose, but that was a, a strange line. I also like that we get our first uh, Chris Jesus Ferguson cameo.
0: Yeah, they had some stunt casting here. He really went nowhere. I feel like I haven't heard about Jesus in probably since this show. When was his last, like, meaningful...
1: He was a fairly poker instay for that whole, you know, O two 2 to 7 boom when it was on TV everywhere.
0: I just feel like of the other people, though... You know, you've got Phil Gordon, you've got Phil Ivey. They continued to be relevant. I feel like he just sort of...
1: Yeah, he was one of the older players who had won tournaments before they went up 10x in size and was still a good player, but maybe didn't have a ton of notable wins. And because his whole thing was being super quiet and poker under it wasn't exactly, you know...
0: He wasn't getting a whole lot of invites on the World Poker Tour.
1: Yes, you're not getting the Phil Hellmuth pop-offs and things like that that make for compelling television in the realm of how compelling poker television can be. Well,
0: and speaking of compelling television, we go to a magic show in the theater of the Montecito where a man is making a woman disappear and then is surprised when she doesn't reappear. Which brings us to, and I checked, television's first instance of Confused Magician to opening credits. It's a real, I think they probably got an award in the technical Emmys that year. Because the guy is clearly stunned, has apparently never had a trick go wrong. I mean, I understand that this is going wrong on a large scale, but he doesn't have any throwaway lines. You know, the last time I lost a woman was in Albuquerque. I mean, he's got nothing.
1: The showmanship here is is very poor. At some point, you just transition away from oh, sure, other other magicians might make them reappear, but I disappeared her into the
0: ether. Right. We come out of the credits and. The people are not happy yet. They are clamoring for refunds. And my first thought is, on what grounds? They got a better than normal show. You were told that a lady was going to be made to disappear. You got a lady being made to disappear. Fuck that. You'd never get told when you buy a ticket to a magic show what tricks are going to happen. You bought a show. You saw a show. Just because one and potentially the tricks later on didn't go exactly as you'd hoped. Yeah, I guess the only
1: way that you could really clamor for a refund is if this was the show opener yeah <laughs> i got the the hunch that this was more of a showstopper end of the line but if they're running out with all right let's get warmed up with some disappear reappear y'all ready for this and and that's it and the show is over five minutes in okay then i get it
0: yeah and i guess from a plot perspective these two magicians are Vonko and vera and they've got this thing, this tradition where couples who go see them on their honeymoon, something, something, yada, yada. So I can understand the couples who are going to this thing, maybe being pissed and wanting a refund. But like if you and me happened to go to this thing and watched a woman disappear, I'd be like, fucking sweet. Better than <laughs> expected. TBH. Got her. Yeah. I mean, look, if you watch somebody die, the saw trick doesn't go well and there's blood everywhere and they rush out paramedics like that's a scarring thing i get wanting a refund but a trick working too well no not buying it anyway on the casino floor a man who will come to know soon to be ben pierce apparently has never had an empty glass in las vegas before so he is stalking a cocktail server trying to put it on her tray as she's walking an exceptionally dick move i half expected the entire tray to flip over and glass just go everywhere
1: that would have been more on brand this guy feeling
0: like. well Mike runs into him and they introduce each other both mentioning that they went to MIT and I've got a question for you Ed have you ever run into a former classmate who you haven't seen in a while greeted each other and both mentioned the fact that you went to Notre Dame no no
1: <laughs> you know you both went that's the yeah. whole thing that's where you bet.
0: yeah it just I, I guess see if one person doesn't know the other person it's like Ed we went to Notre Dame together oh okay yeah but not Ed, Judd, hey, let's now discuss the one thing we have in common. Anyway, this is just your reminder that Mike went to MIT and also that Mike is very defensive about his job and feels like he needs to defend it to this guy, Ben Pierce, and then tell Ben Pierce how he should be running his life when he finds out he's been laid off and playing in a poker tournament.
1: Doesn't seem like a great friendship off of that.
0: No, but we also learned something important. Mike apparently has a standing reservation at Mystique or could just get a table whenever he wants. Because he says, hey, Ben, good luck at the tournament. Let's meet up later at Mystique. We know that's Mike's new favorite restaurant. Does he have a you know constant 9 p.m. seven days a week res? Or does he have walk-in privileges?
1: I, I think Mike has walk-in privileges. As head valet, there's probably some, some quid pro quo you can get for folks. Make sure you get the good parking spot. Just make sure I can get a table whenever I need.
0: Sure. I buy that. Now, I think this next scene, we're going to have a divergent belief. In the magnitude of this or or in the direction of the C story. So Mary escorts a couple of nerds from the S.A.S.S.C. I will not pronounce it how they want it pronounced. They can fuck themselves. It's pronounced sassy. But these swizzle stick collectors have security concerns because of their stupid fucking swizzle sticks. Now, normally, this is the kind of D minus story that I'd hate. But I decided just for once to embrace the slapstick humor nature of it. Oh, no. And you know what? I'm on board with It it's funny. So the, these
1: swizzle stick connoisseurs are worried about security. Yeah, because they've got one dude has a Addie's Roadhouse swizzle stick used by George W. The swizzle stick worth up to eighty five whole dollars of American currency on eBay. Send in the fucking troops for this one, kids.
0: But that's in two thousand three dollars. That thing's worth at least one hundred and sixty today. Oh boy. Look, this is clearly played for humor. I have decided to allow it because especially as we get deeper to the episode, the amount of effort required by Mary and Danny to not laugh in these idiots faces is worth it. It's entirely the fact that Mary is also like I have a legitimate on business way to fuck with Danny. Like I'm here for that. That is the corporate America trolling that I live for. Hey, Danny, I'm here doing my job. What do you want from me? These people need to speak to the head of security. That's you now, bud. D-
1: Danny and Mary's reaction to all of this is very good. I will even go as far to say, I think this was a good Mary episode. Yeah. She she was she was very much enjoying this whole, whole bit. Knew that she could screw with Danny about it. Also just found it hilarious. Mary, I had no problems with this episode, which might be the first time so far in the run.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm on board with this one. It only gets better. In the dressing room, Ed goes to see Vonko, but first he has to meet some stupid cockatoos, which I don't know about you. I'm not a big bird fan.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not extremely pro
0: I think I, I get that from my mother who doesn't like it doesn't like them because especially out in the wild they could just fly at you. They're unpredictable. They're little bastards. So I'm out. Fuck 'em. And I think Ed feels the same way as I do. I I felt seen in this moment.
1: Yeah. And certainly he did not I couldn't tell if it was he doesn't like birds or, or he just didn't want to have to be dealing with this, but has to be dealing with this. Right. He's
0: he's on the clock. He's got shit. He's got to deal with. And a pair of fucking cockatoos is not it. But what he does deal with is Zvanko, this magician guy who just slapped his assistant's ass, not telling him how the trick worked during which his wife disappeared. And Ed lays it out for him like, buddy, you you did the trick. Your wife's gone. It looks like you're having an affair with your assistant, and you won't tell me how the trick worked. This, this is prison. Bad. This is you're looking at prison, bud. We,
1: we now just because you murdered or disappeared someone via paranormal means does not mean that it it's not still fall under the legal system.
0: And in the dressing room, Ed seems like he is not having anything to do with the humor. Fucking the no sawing involved bit. I thought Ed was going to kill him right then and there. Like he puts his hand on the shoulder, like it's going to pressure point, like. I'm going to cut off blood flow to your brain and you're going to die. But then out in the hallway, when he's calling up Danny, he's making jokes about, there's a lot of guys that wish they could make
1: their wife disappear. This guy can actually do it. But I'm
0: Gives himself the rim shot. Not a great look for Ed in that one very small moment.
1: Ed definitely had a, a very dif- definitive, different mindset throughout this episode. I, I feel like the, the new job has Ed in a new headspace.
0: I agree. This episode, we could talk more about it later, feels like the turning point. We we had a bad ad run where he was just kind of an asshole, not really a whole lot redeeming him. And he's really, I think this episode makes a hard left turn into somebody that you'd be happy working for. Hi, Daddy. At Mystique, Ben shows up to dinner with Mike and we learned that he busted out. Big surprise, because if he won, it would not really be that interesting of an A story. And he's incensed about it. Like, I should have fucking won that. Obviously, this guy doesn't have poker tournaments. Work at all we'll find out later that that's exactly the case but this scene exists because a sketchy as fuck dude shows up says something to him as he walks by then sits near him and just stares daggers at him while they're sitting down to eat
1: if there's one thing the show has done consistently perfect it is casting their one-off bad guys
0: 100 percent
1: like this looks like a scary lone shark type dude that you do not want to fuck with who is definitely going to mess this guy
0: up. 100%. They cast this guy perfectly. I feel like I've seen him from other things. I didn't care enough to look it up, but he seemed like a guy I'd seen around the block a few times. He's big, tough
1: henchman number two in like a billion things. Like
0: he, right. he's He is a
1: typically no-name bad guy, but nothing really notable.
0: The casting works on Ben. He's so creeped out he can't stay. Gets up to leave, runs into a stri- another guy at an adjacent table. Ben's fucking flustered. Mike's confused up in security video IQ can't find Vera. So they don't know how she got out of the casino. Ed has this idea that like maybe she was wheeled out, but something's amiss, but they can't involve police because she hasn't been missing for at least 72 hours. Now I get that. Like if you walked out of your condo right now and just went off grid, we would have to wait 72 hours to declare you missing or whatever it is in your local municipality. But isn't this more like an OSHA thing? Like this was happening at workplace. She's gone. No one can find her. I don't feel like this is well, a missing person situation.
1: See, I, I think the answer right here is, one, it's not a direct employee. You get your independent contractor fund, which is always a, a fund to avoid those types of things. But there, you know, there is no actual pr- proof or showing of foul play. This is just stay, Vera disappeared. If Vera wanted to be found, she probably could have been. It seems like she just left, which she's allowed to do.
0: Okay. It just seemed to be because it was happening on stage during a performance that maybe some other shit was involved. I mean, clearly hundreds of people at this point think that she's dead because they're all clamoring for refunds. But Uh,
1: I don't think they think she's dead.
0: So you think everyone just thinks she just ghosted and they're just pissed off?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: I mean, Ed thinks she's dead.
1: I feel like if they thought. but they saw somebody just die. Their first reaction is, yo, let me get my 30 bucks back.
0: We have no idea what the price for that ticket is. Fair point. Outside the employee entrance, Mike and Ness are walking out when a car screeches by, and dumps a roughed up bin out onto the concrete. He's looking like he's in some rough shape. And we come out of commercial, back up in his room, and yeah, he got fucked up pretty good.
1: Yeah, they uh, whoever was in that car definitely put the hands on uh, Mr. Pierce here.
0: I'm beginning to think maybe they couldn't get the actor that plays Luis for this episode because now Ben's saying he also can't get the police involved. So maybe this was just a budgetary cost thing. They spent so much money on the sweat drop shot that Luis got shit canned for the episode. So for whatever reason, no cops at any point during this episode. That's the central theme of season one, episode 10. Sure. We'll go with that. Turns out that Ben lied. Big shocker. He didn't actually win his entry fee in an online tournament but instead got it from a loan Shark. and I have so many issues with this. Yeah. You go first. So
1: here's the, the first problem is, I don't know if Ben realized it was a Lone Shark or not. The story he told Mike is, he has been playing a bunch online and crushing it, and some guy emailed him and said, hey, you're killing it right now. Let me stake you in, into this tournament. People get staked in tournaments is a real thing. They'll pay either all of your buy-in, some of your buy-in, for a percentage of your winnings. That's a legit thing.
0: Yeah. 100%. However,
1: the terms of Mister Pierce's deal were not only are you going to pay me back the 20k seemingly
0: regardless of what happens, but also 50 of your winnings. What the fuck? That seems outrageous. I don't know why Ben would even take it. I get why the loan shark would offer it because if right. they, if they accept, great. But why would Ben accept it?
1: Even if it was. If you finish in the money, like I get 20K plus some, I get 20K back.
0: And then we plus split it.
1: something. Yeah. Like that's at least somewhat, I mean, it's still a pretty shitty deal, but that's at least a little more reasonable.
0: Yeah. And to me, that's one, that's a bad deal. But that's one that a guy who really has no live tournament track record could be willing be like, to yeah, accept. Okay. Sure. Sure. Which brings up my other point. This guy has never played a live tournament in his life. Only online tournaments. Why not try a $100 sit and go at some casino before jumping into a $20,000 live tourney? I mean, the guy says tournament. He's clearly only a couple hours away from Atlantic City. Fucking make it happen, Ben Pierce.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Luxor is running a $25 sit and go tournament every hour on the hour. You could get yourself a little experience here, bud.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. At this point, I've decided that Ben is dead to me. He's just, he's too fucking stupid. I'm not actually convinced he went to MIT, which makes me think maybe Mike didn't actually go to MIT. And the reason that they said MIT during their initial introductions was to remind each other of the lie they're telling. See, I
1: actually, it very much confirmed to me that he did go to (laughs) MIT because then we get into this line.
0: Tough luck,
1: man. Shouldn't be any luck about it, Mike. Poker's a game of skill. This guy has clearly never met a person. Right. I I would give... Anything to play this motherfucker heads up poker because I'll take every cent he owns.
0: Yeah, he's book smart, but not street smart. Matt Damon would fuck him up in both rounders and Goodwill hunting.
1: And Ocean's Eleven.
0: No, I don't think Matt Damon's character in Ocean's Eleven can hurt anybody.
1: On a card table in a casino? Oh, sure.
0: Yeah, but that's just because he's a thief. Another issue in this episode, or in this scene, rather, another issue in this scene Mike's going to tap into his savings to get the 20K to get this guy out of Hawk. But he's going to need a minute. Danny can get 40K at a moment's notice. Mike struggles to put 20 grand together. And he's talking all this hot shit about how much money he makes as a valet. And he has to take a pay cut to go work in security. Come on.
1: Well, let's look at it this way. I could see Danny just putting a lot of cash under a mattress. Whereas Mike's got some investment. Mike Mike's thinking long term. He's, he's not very liquid. But also, Mike's taking three hotties out to dinner.
0: I think that's die. it. I don't think there's investments involved. I think he's living paycheck to paycheck.
1: He's living very well, paycheck yeah. to paycheck, but he is. There's not a whole lot going into the savings.
0: Account. His standing reservation at Mystique is a big chunk of his monthly credit card bill. In the theater, Solovanko is hot trash. People are booing. He can't do basic ring tricks. It's great. We go to the dressing room where Olga, the assistant, is screaming and storms out in Russian she discusses with Ed, who's fluent in Russian, that the big tragedy befalling her is that Vanko actually loves his wife and therefore won't be leaving. Yeah, You hate to see it. Only in America. Vanko, so Ed sits down. Vanko leads Vanko, Mr. Ed. Hello, I'm Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Which is hilarious. But the way he said it, it didn't occur to me that anything was weird until ed said no don't call me mr ed has anyone ever called you that i don't think so
1: because typically i go by eddie not ed
0: Uh huh.
1: but even even as a horse bit no I, I don't think that anyone has run that at me
0: was was horse bit a pun might have been <laughs> uh well so it turns out that vanco can't tell ed how the trick works because he doesn't know how it works he's not really the brains of the operation and vera's apparently stopped telling him how the tricks work. They've drifted apart over the subject of a contract renewal at the Montecito. And as a result, their marriage is on the rocks. And Vera's just ghosted.
1: It seems like a bad business partnership for magicians if the magician only knows half the trick and the assistant only knows half the trick, but they don't tell each other how the hands work together.
0: Well, it sounds like Vera, which I guess wasn't really the assistant, was just sort of the, the junior magician. Because Olga was always the assistant that was like bringing shit out.
1: I think Osea, so. Olga was just bird lady. Whereas Vera uh, maybe. was the assistant. Was, was well but how but so
0: it. rarely do assistants get top billing. I mean they're Vonko and Vera. Like they're that's yes, her. Sure. I think they're they're Penn and Teller, not and maybe not on and equal standing, but similarly.
1: She she has graduated above Magician's Assistant.
0: Well, and in some regard, I think, you know, Gillette has said repeatedly that Teller is the better magician of the two like Penn more the showman. He does the story, the patter, Uh, you know, he's the big boisterous personality, but teller really is kind of like has the chops, you know, the side of hand shit like that.
1: He's, he's the one working the chainsaw once they get it into the building.
0: Right. So my thought is these, these two magicians working together, when one of them stops telling you how the tricks are done, that's gotta be a red flag. Like right then and there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If it turns out you're married to that other person and they're not telling you how the tricks work, Double red flag on the convention floor. Swizzle nerddom has exploded everywhere. And if we just embrace the truth of that scene for a moment, Ed, my question to you is: How is the George W. Swizzle more valuable at eighty-five dollars than a handmade glass set from the Civil War? That seems preposterous to me.
1: I'm I'm gonna really try to go with you on this Swizzle stick journey. I I would agree that, yes, it does seem like a full set of glass bones with sticks from the Civil War. That you
0: can play chess with, mind you.
1: Would be much more impressive than somebody who went and picked up a drunk G-Dubs trash at a bar somewhere in Midland, Texas.
0: I'm just saying, I don't know why Loretta is so bent out of shape about this swizzle that the president has, but... She need not worry about it anymore, because the big story, president comes over out of breath to marry, the W swizzle has been stolen. Oh no. Oh. I, I take it I've not convinced you that this storyline's worth pursuing.
1: I I don't know why you would say that. I feel like my swizzle enthusiasm yes, is
0: at an all-time high. I don't, I don't doubt that. I do think your swizzle do this at all time high. I just don't think it's particularly high. I've heard it both ways. Queen
1: Nefertiti? Nefertiti. I've heard it both ways.
0: In security, Mike asks Ed about a guy, Louis Ambrose, the lone shark that Ben got his stake from, and Ed loses his shit. Says dirtbag about every other word, keeps jabbing in the chest, tells him he's got to stay away. Clearly this guy has some beef with him, but ed wasn't ever able to do anything about it i don't know somehow ed really really hates this guy but that's sort of the end of it
1: it's made very clear very quickly that this is not a dude to be trifled with uh ed doesn't get too fired up about kind of random low lights most of the time but he was real fired up on this one also to mention that ambrose should have been in the black book according to ed yet ambrose was in the mystique which means he was in the Monticeo.
0: Yeah, so I wonder about the Black Book. Can you, I know you can't gamble, but my thought was you can't even set foot in a casino.
1: That was my understanding as well.
0: But maybe if you go directly from, you know, the entrance to the restaurant, they can't keep you out of that or choose not to. I don't know. Could, could it could just be
1: that the, the Macio staff is not very good at paying attention when they get the Black Book alert or however how it works?
0: Well, keep in mind, they have to wait 36 minutes of a 42-minute episode before running somebody through the black book. We've established that already. So, right. They just, they hadn't gotten to that yet. We just
1: got the new IQ. We're, right. We're, we're getting there.
0: on the floor. Mike tells Nessa the story of how he got arrested the night before graduation and Ben bailed him out when no one else was around. And that's why he's going to help this guy. Even though Ed has completely waved him off. That's fine. Like I get it. He's Mike's a loyal guy. He feels like he really owes this guy one why not have that conversation with Ed? You know, Ed obviously knows this dude is incensed about him and say, Ed, I hear you. I respect you. I'm kind of up against it. Here's the situation. And maybe he doesn't want to get into the details of him being arrested or whatever. That's fine. But just, I owe this guy. I need to help him out. What do you recommend? seems like he's the guy to have this conversation with, not Nessa.
1: I completely agree with you there. I think Mike is looking at it, especially to the new approach that this doesn't need to be, ed problem. Mike clearly thinks he can handle it on his own. As
0: Spoiler see, alert. He's,
1: yeah, his hilariously bad plan to maybe just have a nice conversation with the really mean love
0: insurance. Holy shit. That's a terrible scene coming up.
1: But I, I think Mike thinks he can handle this one on his own. And more importantly, this is a personal debt that he feels he has to repay. He doesn't need to get work people.
0: Yeah, you had me right until the end because as we've established previously, these guys shit where they eat all the time. So I'm
1: not saying it makes any sense. or it's a good idea. Yeah, I just I'm I'm trying to come up with some kind of logic.
0: Speaking of shitting where they eat, we're at Mystique where Delinda and Ed are having dinner. Why is she eating where she works? It's not like she's grabbing a quick bite. She's full on sitting down for a meal at her restaurant.
1: Yeah, that seems pretty Strange, but I guess the only other option in the casino is the buffet, and neither Ed nor Delinda seem like the buffet.
0: There's a mean fucking burger for sale at Bella sarah Okay, so
1: that was a tasty looking burger.
0: That's twice we've seen that burger, and both times it looked fucking good. Delinda, on the topic of Vanko and Vera, brings up marriage, and Ed's head almost explodes, which is funny enough on its own. But Delinda asserts that Ed wants her to marry Danny, while his denial, I think, is unconvincing. My question is. Why would she think that? Ed was not particularly kind during their brief, shall we say, arrangement.
1: He wasn't, but I think one, he, he somewhat warmed to it a little bit as it continued on. And, and we had the comment that...
0: He only warmed think, to it after it was over.
1: I, I mean, yeah, pretty much. But, but also Ed had made some comments to Linda after the breakup of, of how like he, he liked the way that Danny was at least kind of slowing her down a little bit. No, that was was all
0: that was what he said to Danny. All he said to her was, Two major holidays. I just uh, want you to go go through a relationship that spades two major holidays. I guess all
1: that was to Danny. So, yeah,
0: I this felt like a little bit out of left field, is all I guess is my point. I wasn't really sure where this was going. It doesn't get paid off this episode or for entire seasons as far as I can remember, but it was sort of an odd signpost they threw up here. Sure. On the casino floor, the president of the SASSC Monty, which made it sound like actually I was referring to a naval vessel, the SASSC Monty, (laughs) is retracing his steps. And Danny's going to review the security tapes and we're going to get to the bottom of it, but not before Monty lowers the boom. That was a a naval joke I just made there.
1: I did not like the coder joke.
0: Well, I will avast with the nautical jokes. Starboard. the long pause now is me figuring out whether or not this is going to stay or go in real time.
1: The one sapping for just the audio listeners, because famously, this is an audio medium, the disdain on your face, shaking your head after I said that was really, it really just touched me. It it felt good.
0: Well, if people go to patreon.com slash Montecito pod for $600 a month, you can get the video feed and watch as we do this live. It's uh. If I'm being honest, I think it's it's quite the value. What is value anyway? So Monty accuses Loretta of the theft because it turns out that the presidency of this organization is established by the member with the best collection. This is hands down the best part of SASSC. It's pronounced sassy. That that's how they decide their leadership. It is fucking phenomenal. My question to you, Mr. Ed, what other organizations should be?
1: No, we're not doing We're not doing that. That's not—we're going to nip that, but right now, let
0: sneaking sneak it in and see. Uh, it yeah, right. no,
1: no, sir. I was waiting for it. I knew it was coming at some point. I thought you were going to save it for the end and hope that I'd forgotten about it. You might have played that card a little too fast. <sighs> that that horse taking out the gate, my
0: friend. So, my question to you: What other organizations are run that way, or should be run that way? Because I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal way to handle leadership disputes.
1: I, I think any collector's organization should be run in this fashion.
0: But I'm wondering, like. Could we do it with professional sports leagues? Like the most valuable team gets to pick the commissioner or be the commissioner.
1: Well, I feel like there are already some that are really in such a way. <laughs> Whether you mean the over- shadow
0: organization that runs the puppet that is Roger Goodell? Yes. Well, now that we're on a blacklist somewhere and we're about to get murdered,
1: Yeah. I'm I'm sure both of us have fired off, fired off enough tweets that we are on those radars already.
0: I agree with you. Other like any collectible organization should run this way. But I just love the idea also that there is so much about the judging of this convention now every year. The stakes have been raised. I think it's phenomenal. The Vegas grips and set dressing people get to dust off their random warehouse set because Mike's going to go see Ambrose talk about Ben's loan.
1: It's good that the former Yakuza had sold out their full warehouse of knockoff handbags so that Ambrose. Ambrose could move into the warehouse for
0: this. Well, and the rapper with the video they've shipped out. Like it's a lot of asset turns in this warehouse. Doing great business. Why does Ambrose keep his cigars with his very fancy pistol? That's going to be good for neither the cigars nor the pistol. For the
1: exact purpose that we saw it in this episode of he gets to scare the shit out of somebody with his sweet looking gun while also getting his nice cigar.
0: I just feel like there's a better way to do that.
1: I don't know. I thought that was very effective.
0: But you, sir, are not a cigarman. True. Nor are you a pistolman.
1: I would not say I'm a pistolier now.
0: I guess there is an actual word for that, isn't it?
1: There is. It's a fun one too.
0: It is. I'm trying to think of all the of all the nouns that end in leer. I think pistolier might be the best, right? Grenadier is good. That's deer, not leer. I don't know if we're gonna
1: Band- Bandolier is pretty strong.
0: Yeah. I mean gondolier is the worst.
1: Well, it depends on who's in the gondola and if they have the proclivities of the uh, the Deline
0: family. Sure. So the one time you see Ed and Jillian fuck, yeah, that was a good shift. But the rest of your life is pretty fucking tragic. Yes.
1: Oh, it's not good.
0: I think Pistol is the best. If we're going to extend it to ears generally, Grenadier might be better,
1: but... I'm, I'm willing to go along with these rankings.
0: Anyway, I think the fact that it is going to damage your very fancy pistol and impart a metallic taste on your cigars negates any benefit. You just have to f- be a little bit more creative, Ambrose, and figure out a way to intimidate the guy using other means. And it doesn't even work on Mike, because Mike is so naive to think that the loan shark is just letting him off the hook that he is like.
1: My main grex with the episode is Mike's whole thing is, yeah, he's, he's kind of this hub of information in Vegas. He is, he is supposed to actually know everybody and everything going on. Mike, Mike should have a better idea of how fucking loan sharks work. In Vegas, 100% right? agree.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more.
1: This whole thing just done hell.
0: So. Yeah, to the point where Mike talks himself into a $40,000 debt, which is some real rounder shit here.
1: And puts himself on the hook along with his buddy Pierce. Fuck, what well, are you I'm doing? I'm not going to get down on my knees for that All I sure, said no.
0: is just keep your mouth shut for like five seconds. I'm sorry. God damn it. Back at Ben's room, the two of them are freaking out because he's been, Ben's been filled in on what happened that says, hey, if you can still give me the 20 grand, I've heard about this cash game at the Palms. We're in full on the final act of rounders at this point. Right. Mike correctly establishes the problem with this plan, though. Ben's going to enter and beat the pros at this cash game, despite still not knowing how the fuck live poker works. But Mike, instead of being like, okay, we need to play B, this is ridiculous, instead is going to she's all that him with a poker makeover. <laughs> and it's all going to be fine.
1: Oh, that was an excellent use of cheese all that. Into what was just a, a fucking infuriating scene. It's not even he doesn't have a lot of experience with playing poker live. It's he's never had a fucking conversation with a human being before.
0: Yeah, it's real bad. It's so on the casino floor, Mike makes this introduction to Nessa, and she in turn is going to introduce Ben and the audience to the concept of tells where we really get to dial our stunt casting up to 11 with these cameos. Now go ahead. I, I see you shaking your head.
1: They make Phil Ivey who, you know, you and I were big into the poker craze, yeah. play a lot of poker, watch a lot of poker. Phil Ivey was like top tier dude. Yeah. They mentioned him.
0: Still is top, start- still is top tier. And in my mind went to God tier when he figured out a way to scan the casinos at Blackjack or Baccarat. Baccarat.
1: Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, can we, we have a – just forget the rest of the episode and do 45 minutes on the Phil Ivey Baccarat heist.
0: <laughs> That's that in our donor's crazy. feed.
1: Awesome. Okay. Good, because I'm really looking forward to recording that. They mentioned Phil Ivey in the intro of, oh, here's all the players that are right. playing in the five, uh, $5 million tournament. And then they have him look like the biggest fucking chump making the most obvious tells that Nessa could read from across the room. How does Phil Ivy agree? Well, I know how Phil Ivy agrees to that. He made them pay him a bunch of money for it,
0: or just wanted the publicity. But which which Phil had it worse? Because so Phil Ivy has to do all these dumb tells, but Phil Gordon, also a top tier poker player, has to bet into these terrible tells and then end up losing the hand.
1: Yeah, it was
0: it was a bad episode to be a guy named Phil doing a cameo.
1: It wasn't the I have a feeling that sentence was several words too long.
0: So Ben asked Nessa, how did you know all that? And she gives a spiel about working. So, you know, I thought was maybe read a fucking book, Ben. You're an MIT nerd. Did you never hear of Super System? Super System 2? All of the fucking books that all of us read in college? This is in your wheelhouse, Ben. Go read a fucking book.
1: Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rain
0: Maybe the problem is you know we play poker we
1: know who these people are and we're trying to we're trying to look past the face value sure and maybe that's a problem but oof aloof
0: it it is clear as we've discussed many times that the show was not built for the Vegas nerd to take apart as we do frequently the only thing worse than this tell scene is then when Mike is giving a quiz to Ben on human lying with a bunch of Elvis impersonators.
1: Is there any doubt that anytime you see a fucking Elvis impersonator in this show, you're in for a bad scene.
0: I am shocked. We did not get a Viva Las Vegas. I Absolutely. So- shocked. You got three Elvis impersonators and Mike all on the same scene. How do we not get a VLV? The old Volvo, if you will.
1: Mm, is that the Volvo?
0: Oh, are you thinking Volvo? <laughs> <So stupid>. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> So Ben fails, not only is it a dumb scene, but Ben fails dramatically at it. A very easy test. Yeah. Insecurity, Danny's been going over these tapes. No luck. It takes Ed peering over his shoulder for 10 seconds to think it's weird that an entire room service cart would be used to transport a single martini. And tasks Danny with, go find this this bartender. You know, this is the hot lead now. But first, before he can do that. Danny's got to take care of some other business. He's got a room Loretta. She is busted when, after a flat denial, she's faced with incontrovertible security tape evidence of her hilarious wrongdoing and celebration on the convention floor. She is so, so pleased with herself.
1: The the laugh that they had of Loretta on the security cam and the freeze frame that they got. I'll give them that That pop. That was that. Was
0: Here's the thing, Ed. She was there for the security meeting. She knew that they were going to ramp up security loretta you're so dumb you wanted to get caught she was crying out for help now in addition to getting a swizzle stick back which she was carrying around in her purse like a good criminal does always keep the evidence on you right monty makes loretta surrender her membership card and i really wanted him to destroy it in front of her
1: yes or like have him try to tear it because but because it's laminated and he's a fucking dweeb he just kind of bends it it. yeah yeah that would have been very good
0: I would even have gone for like a 15 seconds of him bending it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth.
1: I feel like that would have worked well.
0: Instead, Loretta, she feels freed from her prison of swizzle sticks. And because it's in Josh Duhamel's contract, she makes out with Danny to celebrate. Every single episode, he makes out with a woman.
1: I will say, It's like I've been in prison. A prison where the bars are made of swizzle sticks. It was an excellent line.
0: I'm telling you, if you just embrace it, there is a lot to enjoy about the sea story.
1: There are certain things to enjoy about the sea story.
0: I would go so far as to say I'll almost pronounce it the way they want me to, but I still won't. It's pronounced sassy. The line is drawn here with a swizzle stick.
1: (laughs) Is it a line drawn with a swizzle stick or is it a line made of swizzle sticks?
0: Well, it's drawn with the swizzle stick because then I put the swizzle stick back and it's... Protective case. I'm not an animal.
1: It's protective toothbrush holder. Exactly.
0: Little we'll test tube. So then we're backstage with a bunch of showgirls for the final exam. Mike has lied to another Montecito employee for, I guess, Ben to be able to ask these women questions while they're getting ready for a show. It seems very bad all around. But he's tasked with asking them how old they are and figuring out if they're lying. And because he figures out they're both lying. He's a good poker player now? Question mark?
1: Also, the lie was one said she was 22. The other said she was 21. I would posit to you if they had said 32 and 31, I was still calling them the love. <laughs> you, this was not a god tier read here.
0: No, but I guess he's fine now. He's going to be great at poker. At the Bellisera, Ed, who obviously can't wait for Danny to stop making out with Loretta, has found the waiter who brought Vera her martini. And expertly gets the confession out of him. But the very funny line there. Is this a trick question? Because I know employees aren't supposed to drink on the job. And Mr. DeLine. I understand. But the truth is if I call for a cocktail, you for sure would bring it up to my office. That was outstanding. That was a very good line. So he's gotten the confession out of him. Apparently he smuggled her out of the casino and into some motel for love. Ed goes to the motel, finds her. And we discover for the first time, Vera is played by... Nana Visitor of Deep Space Nine fame. She played major then Colonel Kira for all seven seasons of the show. Uh, And she was phenomenal as an actress in that show. She was fine in this episode. Admittedly, my disdain for all things Jersey, of which she hails or her character hails, may have clouded my judgment a little bit on this. But I did not think it was a, let's just say she probably didn't put it on her demo tape.
1: Sure, that's fair.
0: So she was feeling the stress of all these expectations, you know, these honeymooners coming to see the show, her own ma- marriage falling apart, the contract coming up with the Montecito and says, hey, fuck it, I've got a way out of this. And she yanks out of that ejection handle. The Ed keeps poking. He's not, he's not buying it, learns that she regrets everything and convinces her to return to Vanko because he'll be happy to see her. Seems like they got tied up in an awfully nice bow.
1: Whether it should have been able to or not, I'm just glad that it did so that we, too, can put this present under the tree and not think about it again for several months.
0: <laughs> so as it turns out, is it the B story that you hate more than the C story? The C story, the Swizzle Stick? Yeah. is actually the least offensive storyline to me in the, end the episode. Okay, so rank the from least offensive to most offensive are three principal stories. <sighs> swizzle Stick's number one.
1: Swizzle Stick is least offensive. Then probably the magician nonsense and then the main
0: so the poker poker. you really didn't enjoy
1: spoiler alert for the end of the episode i did not enjoy any of (laughs) this
0: fair enough well we're at the palms there's this cash game taking place up in a hotel room how badly do you want to have a in-suite poker game
1: be pretty sexy
0: yeah right
1: You know what it would have to be if you are going to have this sexy and sweet game, right?
0: A literally sweaty cash game. I don't need no
1: pork chips. Stacks on stacks on stacks. Let's go.
0: At a higher level, though, how do you think that these games get arranged? Because there are casino employees involved. They've got chips. They're not licensed Palms chips, but they've got chips. They've got a full table. They've got a ton of catering. Like, the Palms knows this is happening and is okay with it.
1: I think any major... Uh, poker tournament would have ensuing degenerate cash games
0: yeah but i'm just wondering do you think does somebody reach out to the hotel says hey i'm trying to put together a cash game in my suite what's it going to cost me are they you know is there a rake involved because i'm thinking if i'm the casino i'm like hey i'll set you up in a salon you know out where everything's public where there's cameras you know pro- away from the public but you know out in the open where there's security cameras i don't know it just seems odd to me that the casino would get involved in this. Uh, yeah,
1: this is probably a weak nudge off the books type deal because, you know, the gaming commission.
0: Right. On the elevator right up, we learned that Mike has a crippling poker addiction and was forced to quit cold turkey after he returned to Vegas and it got out of control. This feels a little bit like Chekhov's poker addiction.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mike, uh, they clearly alluded to it when Mike first saw Pierce and
0: so what about you you still play poker you were pretty good back in college nah I quit.
1: And, and they also they cut it off of Mike didn't get full blown addiction mode was right on the precipice and pulled the record before it got
0: real good so Ben nervously takes his seat Mike sits behind him and I was shocked that they would allow railbirds in this private game there's only gonna be six players they're all playing for 20 grand buy in like hey who the fuck's this bro? get him out of here
1: yeah if, if you would like to stay, the MSRP on that offer is $20,000 US American currency.
0: Yeah. Hey, he's a friend of yours. Fine. Grab a plate of food and go sit out in the hall. Completely agree. But the big shock, Ambrose walks in. He's the sixth and final player, and he begins shit talking Ben right away, who you could see physically wither in his presence. I should just take mm-hmm.
1: those chips and put it
0: toward what you owe me. But I bought in like everyone else. I'm committed. There's no going back now. Because unlike you, Pierce, I know how dangerous
1: it can be to Welsh on your commitments.
0: We're at the theater. Vonko's on stage. He's still solo. He's still bombing. When the pyramid of appearance rolls back on stage. The
1: appearance mid, if you will.
0: Oof. Uh, no, I will not. sir. Yeah, that was a Vonko of a joke. Ouch. Ta da! Vera's there. And the crowd goes wild. Now, presumably. They're up to speed on the Vanko Vera situation, right? That she's not in the show anymore. Did you hear what happened three days ago? Yet they're still going to the show inexplicably. They're still playing to a sold out crowd. Her coming back though, like that's not a particularly impressive trick. I could do that trick.
1: You, you could put somebody in a box and have them roll that off stage onto the stage and then get out of the box. Yeah. And then you just say, ta-da.
0: Yeah. I feel pretty good about my chances.
1: I would argue this was. Not a trick
0: at all. <sighs> well, the bigger issue in the scene why is Sam there?
1: This is something I'm actually very excited to talk about. During the first magician scene when Vera disappeared and then reappear, we had both Mary and Sam. And now I understood why Mary would be there, but I was wondering, that's weird. Why is Sam there?
0: I was fine with that. I thought maybe she had a whale at the show. You know, for some reason she was checking in. Like the fact that she was there that one time, I did not think was preposterous.
1: I, didn't, I did not think it was preposterous. I just thought, huh, that's weird. But then here, when Vera comes on stage, she excitedly runs over to Ed. I think that Sam might be a huge magician fan. And I hope, I don't recall if this ever comes up again, but I desperately want as a character trait for Sam to just be super.
0: So I, I know there's a Chris Angel-ish kind of episode, I think in season three? Yes. I would have thought that Sam, to me, exudes such a I'm too cool for everything that she would be n- not be caught dead being a fan of magic.
1: Completely agree, which is why this is so fucking hilarious to me.
0: I did really enjoy the interaction between them where Ed won't tell her what's going on, like leads her on a little bit like she's like he's going to explain the trick. And, and you then see her doesn't.
1: eyes growing. She's so excited to learn how it happened. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Sam loves magic and that's ridiculous and hilarious.
0: We're back at the Palms where Ben, in addition to losing a hand, is now losing his shit. Huge surprise. The crash course in poker 101 didn't work. And After he loses a hand, Ambrose flees from the room, presumably to go throw up. Mike steps up to the rail. He's going to get Delton in his place. Why would that be allowed?
1: Yeah. The fact that nobody else at the table was like, uh, no, we're going to wait for the guy to clear. He sucks at poker. It's a not We don't know you.
0: Yeah, we're just going to blind him out of existence in the meantime. Thanks so much, though. I guess it's a cash game. Maybe they're thinking, hey, we'd rather take a shot at this guy. I don't know. I just thought that was weird.
1: No, I completely agree. It made absolutely no sense.
0: We come out of the commercial. We're still at the Palms. Mike's doing well for himself. Ed has now come up to watch. So we have a new Railbird situation. Presumably that little bar area is just the on-deck circle. So if something happens to Mike, then Ed gets dealt in. But whatever. Ed gets there just in time for Mike to read a bluff and win a ton of money. I would like to give you an opportunity to say anything about the scene that you'd like before I go into, I'm not kidding you, a full page of notes about this.
1: I appreciated them not lingering on this poker and they just, yeah, Mike got a hard read, took all his cash. We're done with the
0: poker. Yeah, all that's fine. Minus one of money. So each player, when they bought in, got... Three different chip denominations, stack of twenty chips each. Your your visual reaction to this tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> I did some multivariate analysis and concluded <laughs> there is no reasonable chip denomination that explains this buy-in. We started by analyzing the biggest denomination. Okay, it can't be a thousand because twenty of them is the whole thing. It can't be a hundred dollars because twenty of them would only be two thousand. And at least $18,000 over 40 chips. That would be an average price of more than 100. So the only real casino denomination left is 500, which means that the other two chips have to add up to 500. So 350 and 150, 300 and 200. It doesn't really matter. The point is GST, please hire a gambler for your gambling show. This was an easy fix, a completely unforced error. So When Ambrose pushes, I froze the tape. He had 27 blues, 28 reds, and 31 whites. So we don't know how much each chip's worth, but he had over the initial $20,000 buy-in, and Mike was able to cover that. In addition, already in the pot, there was at least, because again, I froze the tape, 13 blues, 14 reds, 12 whites. And that's only what I could see, because there was a whole bunch of chips underneath. But for getting those chips, maybe they're fucking pretzels and hummus carrot sticks. The pot had at least over 10 grand in it because, you know, we had half of each of the buy-ins. Great. Moreover, we know that Mike had at least 40 K after this was over because he was going to be able to pay Ambrose out after that big win. I think though, Mike has very conservatively $60,000 at the end of this hand. Ed talks him down to 10 K using the same tactics on Ambrose that Ambrose had used on Mike. So that 60 becomes 50. 20 goes back to Mike for the initial loan, leaving at least 30K left. So in the next scene, when Mike's giving Pierce a few thousand in the envelope, one of three options. One, he's actually giving him three stacks of high society. Two, Mike took some hefty profits for his time at the table. Or three, Mike stuck around and lost money at the table, which do he thinks most likely.
1: It's not three because Ed says, clean up Mike. Mike is getting all his chips. I think Mike was very clearly being told to leave the table by him, and so I think he left the table with Me, I think the most likely here is that Mike broke him off with three stacks
0: because that was that
1: was not a thin envelope.
0: no. But that is a very very nice gesture for Mike, considering the shit Mike went through.
1: Yeah, Mike uh, presumably got his twenty back because the twenty-four the buy Biden- the
0: game, was nice, obviously. Right. 20's got to go back to the professor.
1: Turned my 10 grand into just over 60. Paid 15 to grandma. Six went back to the Chesterfield. As for Worm, well, I figure we're even. And after the 10 going back to the professor, I'm back where I started with three stacks of high society. He's doing all right. I am going to need you to go ahead and drop the I was told there would be no math at some point back in that conversation for me. <laughs>
0: I mean, I think I'm going to have to cut the whole thing out because I don't think it was particularly funny. (laughs) But maybe our maybe our narrow audience enjoys the level of gambling pedantry that we sometimes embark on.
1: It's if nothing else, it is a hallmark of the podcast.
0: Yeah. Like it or love it. It is our brand promise to you. (laughs) Outside the beautiful wax, Ed approaches Mike to talk about his crippling poker addiction. And Mike says he's fine, but it was clear to me he had been sucked back in. Right.
1: I, Mike sure did enjoy it. He was feeling pretty good.
0: Mike got his beak wet, and I don't think he's going to walk away from it again.
1: I, this if it came back up, I would not be surprised.
0: I actually thought it was going to come back up this episode. Like, I thought we were going to close the episode with a shot of, you know, Smiling six Mike second. Table. Yeah, six, six, six second throwaway of Mike at a sweaty card game. I'm
1: I'm both glad they didn't, but also kind of sad they didn't, because... That would be a really interesting character build for Mike and have him more than just like random best friend crime, crime, fight, crime fighting squad member
0: yeah I think I mean obviously you don't want to see a guy you like go through something like that and gambling addiction is just like any other addiction so you know somebody who's battling their demons you obviously don't want to like see that but as a character on a television show it would, it would provide a little more depth to Mike that we don't really get and maybe help also flush out his like, why did you come back to Vegas and work at a casino when you could have gone off and been a hotshot engineer?
1: Right. The I don't like working with computers line that he keeps giving doesn't really cut it.
0: No, especially when he's demonstrated on multiple times that he does like working with he computers. Desperately
1: loves working with computers, especially wireless network capable.
0: If they've got that A01011C. Holy shit. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Up in Ed's office, Ed and Danny are calling it a day. We had a throwback to the topless pancake joint, which is nice.
1: I genuinely enjoyed Ed's line walking in.
0: Oh, and Danny, congratulations
1: on cracking a swizzle caper. Nice job.
0: (laughs) Thanks. And Danny's response. I mean, it felt to me like, to your point at the very beginning, Ed has undergone a change. I don't think we get that line from Ed five episodes ago.
1: Yeah, nor did Nor... Does Danny get the topless pancake invite? Like, there, there is a clear turn in Ed's mind frame, and I, for one, think it's a girl.
0: Ed gets a phone call he needs to take on the way out, asks Danny to bring the Hummer around, and Ambrose is waiting at the back dock to shoot the guy getting out of the car that he thinks is Ed. Clips Danny in the leg. Ed is either waiting there or happens to get there in the nick of the time to beat the shit out of Ambrose. But why doesn't Ambrose send somebody to do the hit? We know he has goons. I think
1: this was a revenge. This was...
0: A crime of passion? Yeah, this was
1: he wanted revenge. Here's my question. When Ed got the phone call, there was a definitively negative look on his face. Do you think Ed got a call and Ambrose was on the property and he set Danny up to do this pincer move?
0: No, because I think Danny is caught so unaware by the attack that I,
1: I didn't, I didn't think that it was, but the timing of ed getting there just in time, had you like, I mean, surely he wouldn't do that to Danny, but what if he did
0: before this episode, I would have been more inclined to believe it. But with this new and improved ed, I don't think he's setting Danny up.
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense.
0: Now it could have been a clever move. Would have told him, Hey, stay in the Hummer. And, you know, we'll see what happens or if there had been other security people there that Ed had brought down. But no. I do wonder it was the call legit, though, or did Ambrose, you know, somehow place a call to make sure that Ed was in his office? I don't know. It just seemed awfully convenient, but neither here nor there. The real unanswerable questions will come at the hospital. So we get to the hospital. Ed comes in first. Danny's foot's in a cast. He got shot. He's, you know, got to be in the cast for a couple months. Why does Ed think Danny needs a better story about how he got shot? This wasn't like he fell down some steps. It's like, all right, let's, like, you got shot by a loan shark who was trying to kill somebody. Like, that's a fine story. It is
1: a perfectly fine story, but I think Ed, instead, probably feels bad for Danny. It's like, look, let's make you sound real fucking good here. You took out six dudes before you got shot, <laughs> taking a bullet for me, you're a, you were a true hero. You finally showed all that Marine shit that we keep hearing about.
0: You're a true hero, never mind the actual Marine service, but you're taking out <laughs> six guys with crowbars. That's really what makes you a hero now.
1: Hey, if, if you save Big End the line, there is no uh, – the Medal of Honor, the Medal of Freedom, there are no colors of crosses that could possibly get past the level of prestige of having saved the Big End to the line.
0: <laughs> if he'd saved Big Ed DeLine's life from eight guys with crowbars, does he get to call him Mr. Ed?
1: I think he gets like one.
0: A year. Unanswerable question number two. Does Sam touch Danny's dick?
1: Yep, That hand got way up
0: there. Yep. Uh Question number three. What does Delinda whisper to Danny?
1: I think she has some horny, nurse-faction role-play ideas.
0: That she's willing to say... In front of Mary and in front of her father. That's why she whispered it. But then back to like, I'm not kidding.
1: We've talked about how weird the the Delinda Danny thing is. And I think it's getting considerably more weird.
0: Yeah, I guess. I think I know the answer to this question, but contractually I'm required to ask it. Ed, did you like this episode?
1: No. Second worst that we've had so far, in my opinion. Everyone was annoying and dumb, and I hated it. How about
0: yourself? I didn't think it was bad. I mean, look, I, I don't think it's going on any sort of uh, top 10 list of mine, other than the fact that it's currently the 10th episode. But I, I thought it was a fun episode. Um, didn't really advance anyone's big story. I liked I liked Ed's character arc bending towards likable. I liked that a lot. I thought the main plot obviously had some technical holes. The, the she's all vatting of Ben Pierce was annoying, but otherwise good. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for poker. The B story of the mission was fine. I'm a big non Visitor fan. So like that, that was a, a cool thing for me to see. And I thought the uh, sassy was just good, clean, fun. Like it brought the laughs. Mary and Danny try not to bust up laughing basically every scene that they're dealing with. Morty and uh, what fucking what's her name? Loretta. Loretta. I thought it was great. So I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. I certainly was not bummed. You know, I, I think we've established I, I watched the episode first, just watching it. And then second time through, I go through and take my notes. And unlike the one a couple of a couple weeks ago where I was like, "Huh, cool. Really excited to have to go back and watch this shit box again. I was fine with it. Like, yeah. Why not? I think
1: if they hadn't made Pierce such a complete image, like if, if it had been, yeah, I've only played online and playing live, it's just a whole different ball game. Like, it's a nerve thing, something like that. That would be one thing. But the, I've never actually spoken to a human being and don't know what lies are or nonverbal communication of any kind is, was just so over the top that it took me out of it so hard. Because the
0: rest
1: of it, you know, I like the Mike storyline. I like that kind of additional character angle for Mike. I, I think it's very believable that Mike would feel like he owed this guy essentially a life debt because he made sure he didn't get kicked out of MIT. Yeah,
0: I think to me it's a it's another example of there was a better way to do it. I think the only thing you really need to excise is the poker makeover. And if instead they'd done some montages of a couple different I maybe mean, actual poker games and done it I'm thinking, you know the in the movie Maverick, how Mel Gibson's character the titular Maverick, sits down at this saloon card game is
1: like, I promise that I will lose for at least an hour.
0: And it's him clocking everyone's tells. Yeah. Like, I think you could have done something more like that. You know, instead of having Phil Ivy be a fucking ham with 17 different tells, you could have broken that up over a few things, maybe had some no-namers, whatever. You start to see the evolution of Ben. I think that makes it more palatable. Because
1: the, then even just having Am- Amber show up at the game could right back down to right. one and you still need a switch and right I think all that still would have worked. Um I completely agree with you there. And then the I, the magicians just didn't do much for me there. Yeah. Aside oh, from Sam I being hear. a classic magician fan, which I'm very into. <laughs> and God, I really don't remember but I hope it comes up again because that's now that is a,
0: a character turn that I really want to explore. Ed, do we have a new chip leader? <sighs> I think we do. I I I don't have any more to put up, but I'm I'm willing to listen. I think this was a very good Ed episode. Perhaps the best he's had. There were no obvious Ed fuck-ups. He accomplished every mission he set out to. So he was the one running down the magician, the Vera uh, disappearance. He got that, got that solved, avoided the liability for the Montecito, and secured her personal well-being. He then switched over to being in Mike's corner, helped with the Ambrose negotiation. He didn't get shot at. He was, <laughs> he beat the fuck out of Ambrose. He did. God, he just beat the ass of that boy. You know, he's making jokes with Danny, both in his office and at the hospital. Other than the fact that Ed probably didn't get topless pancakes after the shooting, I think the episode went about as well as it could have for him. So I think Ed's our new chip leader. And, I, and frankly, I don't even think it's that close. I, I agree. I think you're correct. All right. Mr. DeLine, come on down. You are our new chip leader. <laughs> Ed, what do we have on tap? Next on
1: pod, the Montecito, blood and sand. The Montecito is hosting a premier boxing event of the year, and Danny and Ed can't keep the punches in the ring between the rival fighters. However, when the prosthetic lead of one of Boxer's managers goes missing, Danny must find it before the fight night or cancel the main events.
0: Do you remember anything about this episode? Nope,
1: not a damn thing,
0: which I do, surprised me. I, I remember bits and pieces of it, I think... It could be a different episode, but I feel like there's also sort of a sad B or C plot about a guy coming out of retirement and fighting for one last payday, and he's got health reasons. I don't know if that's this episode or another one. I think,
1: I think that's another one okay. because when I, when the little uh, screen grab on the DVDs where I was looking it for the episode synopsis was boxing, and, and that was the first one that came to mind. But I don't think it's this one. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but... uh...
0: Did you ever watch the Cinemax show, Spartacus, Blood and Sand?
1: No, I didn't.
0: I great things done. Yeah, it was good. It was, uh... Talk of talk of sex and violence. Wow.
1: That was what I recall was there was a, a whole lot of nudity and a whole lot of violence. It's it's one of those. I have a long list of shows that someday you yeah, have be grateful to watch and that's on
0: It's really good. The sad thing is the lead actor in that died of cancer during filming. Oh, so I think they recast him between like seasons two or three or something like that. Anyway, uh, he was really good. It's a really good show. I, I never watched all the way through, but really enjoyed it. So when I saw the, Episode title. That's obviously what I thought of. Well, sir, this is the part of the episode where we thank all of our sponsors. Uh, stand by. Okay, still none. Okay. We thank people who've given us the rights to use their music. Yep. And we thank you, the listener. And the way we thank you, the listener, most directly is Ed drops some wisdom on you. Ed, what do you have for our audience?
1: Kids, remember before you try to put 20 grand on the table, you should try having a conversation with a real life human being and not being such an antisocial social fucking weed.
0: I don't know if that's going to make it on the, on the merch table. That's some, that's some real pessimistic advice there, my friend.
1: Look, they, we can't fill out the merch table every day, uh, But some, some lessons are hard lessons. That's some tough that love. To
0: tough love from Mr. Ed here.
1: Nope. Not, no. no stop it. I will not, not abide.
0: Yeah, well, the dude abides, all right, I've been Judd. He's been uh, regular old Ed. Thank you. And this has been Pod at the Montecito.
1: This is hell for six hundred a month. We'll let you watch the Zoom call as it happens.
0: I think that's exactly what I just said.
1: Yeah, I realize that. <laughs> okay. So, so. <laughs> at first, you said we'd let you watch the video, and I thought you meant like we would export it after the fact that it, it just.